Well, I don't know about you, but I love Sundays. I love Sundays. I love gathering together to worship the Lord. I love the joy of meeting up with fellow Christians. I love the music and the reading of Scripture. I love the fact that my sermon's done for seven more days. I love the breaking of bread, the drinking of wine, the prayers, the rituals. I love the treats afterwards, too. I love the conversations and the laughter. I love the moments of silence and reflection, too. The reverence and the awe, and yet the intimacy and the imminence of God as the Spirit moves among us. And then I love the chance to finally rest and to put my feet up when it's all done, and then perhaps the chance to recreate in the afternoon and to enjoy the beauty of the day and the nature that is all around us. Yeah, Sundays are a good day. They're a good day. But you know, not every day is a Sunday. How quickly Sunday turns to Monday, right? Or Tuesday, or even Friday. And before we know it, I'm a long way from where I was on Sunday, desperately needing to get back to Sunday again, but not knowing if I can make it, wondering if I'll have the words to say or the energy that I need. And from the things I hear some of you say, I don't think I'm the only one who struggles with this. Men in my life group will often say, I need life group because it's in the middle of the week and it helps me make it from Sunday to Sunday. Well, I think it's a picture of what happens in Holy Week. And we get to experience that in our schizophrenic service today, if you will. Something well represented by the two things that were given to you as you walked into the service. A palm frond, right? And then a palm cross as well. They're physical reminders of what happens between Palm Sunday and then Good Friday. Going from triumph to tragedy, from celebration to crucifixion, from superlatives to sacrifice. You see, it's Palm Sunday, and all is seemingly right with the world. All's good, but Good Friday's coming. And there doesn't seem to be much good about Good Friday, right? As we look more closely at our two readings from Luke's Gospel today, the one we read at the beginning of the service, and then the Passion reading that we've all just participated in, it's hard not to be struck by just how different these stories are. And they're only five days apart, And we see it most of all, I think, in the attitudes and the behaviors of the main characters in the story. First of all, we have the disciples, don't we? Jesus sends two of them to get a colt that he's going to ride into Jerusalem on. And upon their return, he mounts this colt. He rides into Jerusalem like a king returning from battle, surrounded by acclaiming accolades as his excited disciples spread their cloaks and their palm branches on the road. And they praise him, quoting from Psalm 118, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're excited. The problem is it's Sunday, but Friday's coming, right? Sunday, but Friday's coming. And how quickly the disciples turn from this emotional high to emotional exhaustion. As they enter the Garden of Gethsemane on Monday, Thursday with Jesus, they can't stay awake, can they? They can't pray when Jesus says, pray with me. Their change in behavior is stark. Then just perhaps focusing on a couple of individual disciples, we also see emotions change in significant ways. First of all, there's Judas Iscariot. He must have been really excited to see Jesus coming into Jerusalem. He likely believed he was entering as a king, a king who would finally set the Jewish people free from their Roman occupiers. You see, 
Jesus entered Jerusalem much like Judas Maccabeus had done 200 years prior when Judas Maccabeus came in and he cleared out the Syrian people, the Syrian king who had occupied Jerusalem. He expelled the pagans from the temple and he brought freedom to the Jews for a century or more before the Romans took over the city. Well, knowing this story, Jesus Iscariot must have hoped that it wouldn't be long before Jesus would summon on the heavenly powers that he had and he would kick out the Roman forces out of Jerusalem and out of Palestine. But as the week wore on, Jesus began talking more about dying and serving, dying and serving, not conquering Romans and ruling Israel. Yeah, it's Sunday, but Friday's coming. And so excitement turns to disappointment, and that in turn leads to a willingness to betray his rabbi, the man he's been following for three years. Judas no longer wants anything to do with Jesus. In fact, Jesus is better off dead to him. So not willing to wait any longer for Jesus to act, he decides he's going to take things into his own hands. Then, of course, there's the Apostle Peter, a man who's never afraid to speak his mind, right, and to declare his intentions. As one of Jesus' inner core, he must have felt emboldened by Palm Sunday as he sees Jesus riding into Jerusalem. And Peter's thinking, I'm a leader for the King of Kings. I'm a leader. And nothing could stop him now. Even as late on in Holy Week as Monday Thursday, as Jesus is again talking about his impending death, Peter boldly proclaims, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. But Jesus knowingly, and I, I assume sadly, replies, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Yeah, it's Sunday, but Friday's coming. Then there's Pilate. Pilate's the governor of this relatively quiet backwater in the Roman Empire, Israel. The problem is it's Sunday, but Friday's coming. And on Friday, he's drawn to a situation that he would rather not deal with. He's a weak and indecisive man. And Pilate at first seems more somewhat intrigued by this man who's been brought before him. He says, are you the king of the Jews? But he gets no response over and over again. And he's relieved to discover that he's a Galilean. So he can ship him off to Herod, this Jewish puppet king. And he can avoid making a tough decision. The problem is Herod sends him back to Pilate. And so he has to decide what to do. Why won't this Jesus speak up? Why won't he defend himself? And so frustrated with Jesus and with the situation, he finds himself trying to compromise and to wash his hands of any wrongdoing. He proves himself to be a moral coward, finding nothing wrong with what Jesus has done and yet letting him be sentenced to death. Then there are the religious leaders of the Jews, the Sanhedrin and its leader Caiaphas. And on Sunday, they see Jesus ride into Jerusalem. And this man who they've mostly tolerated up to this point, he's really gone too far. He challenges their religious authority. It's Sunday, but Friday's coming. And on Friday, they finally get their chance to get rid of this thorn in their side. They have been biding their time, but now they strike. And Caiaphas, unknowingly, and yet correctly prophesies, it is good for one man to die instead of a nation being destroyed. And then finally, there are the crowds that you just got to play in the story. And the crowds are gathering for Passover. 
And on Palm Sunday, there's this incredible happiness, this great joy as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. This promised Messiah, the king, comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. He's the one who's going to save them. He's going to set them free from their oppressors. And yet, it's only Sunday, and Friday's coming. So disappointed by his methods and stirred up by the religious leaders, they turn on Jesus. They want his blood. Release Barabbas, they cry. Release Barabbas. Let the guilty one go free and have Jesus, an innocent man, killed. They've gone from happiness to hatred in just five days. And even being complicit in murder is not beyond them. How quickly the characters in the story turn. And yet, if we stop and think for a moment, isn't this just like us? I know it is for me. We're a, we're a fickle people. The Bible describes us as being like sheep that have gone astray. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, everyone to his own way. You see, Palm Sunday, it's the day when everything is good in our lives, when everything's right with the world. You know, the sun's shining there's a cool breeze blowing. The birds are singing. You've got money in the bank. Everyone's feeling well, and the kids have finally stopped arguing for a moment. Even your sports team is winning for once, and you're actually able to rest, to rest. However, like the characters in our story, we all have our Fridays too. Friday is the phone call from the doctor. It's the news that you've lost your job. Friday's the fight you and your spouse are having again. It's the investment gone bad. It's the betrayal of a friend. It's the realization that he's cheating on you. It's the news that the baby, it isn't going to make it. It's the news that, well, they've relapsed. It's the headlines coming out of Washington or London or the Middle East. Friday is the loss of someone dear to you. It's the update that the cancer is back. Friday's the day that it all falls apart and that hope is seemingly lost. And maybe you're tired and you're disappointed and you're frustrated, you're resentful or angry with God and you say, why God, why have you forsaken me? In 2015, Seth Stevens Davidovitz wrote an article in the New York Times titled Googling for God. He wanted to show how Google search data can tell us a lot about the psychology of the modern age. You see, when it comes to God, many people, they won't share their struggles, right, with their faith leaders or their friends. But of course, they will type them into Google, where they can ask both with impunity and anonymity. Stevens Davidovitz sifted through a decade worth of Google searches and found that the most Google questions about God included these. Why does God allow suffering? Why does God need so much praise? Why does God hate me? Why did God make me ugly? Why did God make me gay? Why did God make me black? Now, any one of us can see that the thread binding each of these questions together is disappointment with God, right? It's disappointment with him. We thought things would turn out one way, and they didn't. We all have our Fridays. But as the old-time preacher put it, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. This is not the end. Yes, it's Palm Sunday, and Good Friday's coming, but Easter Sunday is coming too. And there are a couple of characters we didn't mention from our story. 
We don't know much about the second criminal in our story, but perhaps at the start of the week, he was feeling pretty hopeless, locked up in jail, facing the death penalty with no chance of reprieve, either physically or spiritually. It would have been a pretty desperate place for him. But then on Friday, he gets nailed on a cross next to a man who is much more than just a man. In fact, he is God himself, God in flesh, emptying himself and taking the form of a servant. And finally, there is hope for this criminal. And then there's the Roman centurion, a Gentile no less, who's likely wondering what he's doing in this quiet backwater and wondering if he will ever make it home again, back to Rome, back to Italy. And then it happens. He encounters the God of the universe in the form of an innocent man being murdered on a cross. And he can't help but exclaim out loud, surely this man was the son of God. And so Good Friday was good for them. In the midst of this terrible situation, they recognize that God is at work, that he's become obedient to death, even death on a cross, the worst of all deaths, so that they might come into his kingdom and live the life eternal, freed from their sin, freed from death, and freed from the hopelessness that Fridays can bring. You see, whether it's Sunday or Friday in your life, God is at work. And often, it's the Fridays that lead to so much more than the Sundays. It's when we press into the pain and the struggle and trust God that we encounter the true God, not the heavenly bellhop whose job it is to satisfy our deepest desires, or perhaps the holy, hatch, uh, the holy matchmaker who will secure you a spouse, or the cosmic bodyguard who protects you from harm, or the world's best nanny making sure your children turn out right, or a divine doctor healing your every physical and mental ailment, or a wonder-working accountant solving all your financial problems, provided you drop off a portion, well, just a small portion, right, in the church plate, of course. The Christian writer Jonathan Merritt suggests this. What we experience as disappointment is an invitation to give up holding tight to what we hope is true, to stop trying to cast God in our image, to let God be who God is, not who we wish God would be. The choice is ours. And who knows, if we decide to step off the dopamine roller coaster, maybe we'll find ourselves at the foot of a cross, giving up all we have for the one who gave up everything for us. Friends, are you ready to give it up? Are you ready to give it up? Are you ready to follow the one who made you and who loves you? the king who's willing to die that you might live. Yeah, it's Sunday, but Friday's coming. The palm frond actually becomes the cross. And you and I are invited to take it up that we might live. I wonder what's holding you back. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, we love you. We love you for Palm Sunday and we love you for Good Friday. We are so grateful, Lord Jesus. Grateful for all that you have done, that you are king and that you are savior. You are both, not one or the other. You are both, and we praise you for that, Lord. Lord, help us to live lives of gratitude in response to that love, the love that you have shown for us 
upon the cross. Might we accept the salvation that you offer by the cross and then might we follow you accepting that you are our King and our Lord. Might we choose to submit and to obey you because of your great love for us. Help us, Jesus, whether it's Sunday or it's Friday in our lives, to trust you, to push into you, to know that you are with us and you are for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.